0: Welcome everyone to the new episode of the Truth in Reality Podcast. I am your host, Anthony Roman, reporting in the middle of nowhere. And ladies and gentlemen, we have a series in the NBA Finals. The Bucks and the Suns are officially tied 2-2 two two after four games. To me, this has officially been the hardest series for the Suns. Maybe that's just me, but that's what I feel. Game three, the Bucs won by 20. Yesterday, they played great defense when they needed. The funny thing, shooting-wise, the Suns' field goal percentage was better than the Bucks. The Suns shot around 51%, while the Bucks shot around 40%. The Bucks had the ability to turn over the ball and get, a, uh, get offensive rebounds, which was the killer for the Suns. To take it even further, in terms of what the difference in terms of points between the Bucks and the Suns in terms of second chance shots and turnover points, the Milwaukee Bucks had 43 points to the Phoenix Suns, 12 points. And when I mean, that, that's just crazy. A blowout right there, even though the game wasn't a blowout. But in key areas, the Bucks took advantage of the Suns' sloppy play, even though if you look at the field goal percentage wise, you would say that the Suns had their had the upper hand because they made the Bucks shoot 40% and 40% is not great and 51% is great. But it's the little details, the little things that usually were, um happen that you have to execute and if you do, it it takes care of things. Now, I was watching first take yesterday and I mentioned that this series could be like a home team wins their their games kind of series meaning that whoever wins at home all the that every team that's at home is gonna win. So if that's getting the way the series gonna be that the most likely this, this series will favor the Suns and the Suns will probably win in seven. And I'm good with seven games. Knowing but knowing that it's possible that it will turn out that way, simply it doesn't help it does not work for me. Simply I like to be surprised. I don't like to think that maybe this series could go uh, seven games because teams are winning. The Suns and the and the Bucks are winning at home. S- Bucks are playing better in court. Qu- the Bucks are playing better, th- and the question is, can the Suns make adjustments to win? Let's l- look at the game four alone. Booker looked amazing. Paul and Aiton have to improve if the if the Suns want to win this series. If not, this could be the Bucks' chance to win a championship and potentially win their first championship since the 1970s. This Saturday is Game 5. We'll see if the Suns will make the necessary adjustments or will they lose again. But let's deep dive into something for a, quite, for a little bit because both coaches are different kind of guys. And what I mean by that is, well, will Mike Budenholzer experience be the difference maker of over Monte Williams. Budenholzer, ladies and gentlemen, if you do not know, has 24 years coaching in the NBA between being an assistant and being the head coach of the Atlanta Hawks and the Milwaukee Bucks. Who was his mentor? Well, ladies and gentlemen, his mentor is a guy who's won multiple championships, and that's Greg Popovich. And, ladies and gentlemen, Mike Budenholzer was. An assistant coach for the Spurs, not just for five years, two years, three years, he was an assistant coach for 16 years. For 16 long years, he was able to learn behind one of the best coaches. He was able to be in the trenches, ladies and gentlemen. Now, what helps Mike Boonholzer even more? Well, Mike Boonholzer also has 84 games experience in the playoffs up to this point in his career. To where Monty Williams only has 29 games. So look at the difference. How many, how many? That's about a 55 game difference in terms of experience in the playoffs alone. Another thing is that Boone Holzer has 8 years of her coaching experience. And in those 8 years, he has won 6 out of the 8 years. Where Monty Williams actually has been... A, a, a losing coach majority of his career so far. Let's be realistic. He had had three good seasons in his career where they were over 500 to his seven years experience. Now the question is, we'll see if coaching experience leads the Bucks ultimately winning the championship, or will it be the trio of Aiton, Paul, and Booker that will overtake the Bucks and potentially win the first NBA, help the Suns win their first NBA championship ever? Now, something else came up this week that's not attached to the NBA Finals, and it was Colin Sexton who's potentially going to be let, not let go, but more or less traded from the Cleveland Cavaliers. Now, ladies and gentlemen, if you don't know, like I've said in the past, but I'll re- re-say it again, the New York Knicks have two first-round draft picks and about $50 to sixty in fifty to $60 million in salary cap. Now, you know, that's a lot of money. That's a lot of room. And the question of the day is, what do the Knicks do to carry the momentum that they had this past season into the 2021 to the 2022 season? What do they ultimately do to help this team continue this momentum and not just be a one-hit wonder year? You know, every Knicks fan is, is taking a breath Holding our breath because we don't know what to think right now. We don't know what to think in terms of what's going to happen. Will the Knicks screw it up? Will we make? Will we draft the wrong guys? Will we sign a whole bunch of goofy guys to to a long contract and ruin our salary cap? I don't know. But ladies and gentlemen, I like the idea of the New York Knicks going after Colin Sexton. I like it. He might be traded. You know, the reality is that the Knicks have multiple options on what to do with the point guard position. They could take who's available in the free agency. They could draft one of the young point guards that are going to be available in the draft with one of their two first round draft picks. Or with the guys who potentially probably even want to be traded, they can go after them in that, in that manner. Now, I like Sexton because he's young and he's a great uh, scorer. And mixing him up and adding him to the core of Randall and Barrett is an amazing young trio. who, In terms of trending, they're trending up and they're progressing each year, which is great. You know, the Knicks could do another crazy thing. If it takes get um, acquiring Kevin Love, that would be amazing. Because last year, if you look at the three sentence that we had between Gibson, between Snowell and Mitchell Robinson... None of them are real scorers. So when you have them in the lineup, while they were doing great things defensively for the New York Knicks, they weren't really great scorers. So the team opposing teams knew that these guys weren't going to really look for the ball and really are not, their offense is limited. But getting a Kevin Love would be interesting. He rebounds good, he shoots threes, he spreads the floor, and just getting more scorers would be the option. That was We were one of the worst scoring teams in the NBA, and by getting guys like Sexton And Kevin Love would definitely help us. But we'll see what happens. Off to the Major League Baseball. Well, the Home Run Derby happened this past Monday. And and listen, ladies and gentlemen. The NBA has more obstacle courses, competition, dunking contests, whatever you want to call it. Versus the uh, MLB. MLB just has the home run derby but the home run derby to me is always amazing because we're seeing guys hit the ball 400 feet and we have, if you ever watch them repeatedly for the last 10 years or maybe even 20 you see that sometimes guys have great momentum in the beginning and then they get tired very few guys are able to calm themselves down and be able to relax and sustain all 3, three rounds but Polar Bear Pete Alonso was able to do it ladies and gentlemen and it wasn't the normal way of getting 10 ounce and then that and then your ter- turn was up. It was more or less, they give you a minute, they give you a minute to relax, and then you get a minute to go back, and which is is interesting. But long story short, it it didn't look like the normal way. It's just like, the the guy whoever was throwing the balls for Pete Alonso and others. This looks like they were all hitting the sweet spot. But I think Alonso hit at least seventy, hit at least seventy um home runs in this home run derby. I don't know. But he hit a lot, especially the first round, he hit 35. And let's talk about the most special player of Major League Baseball this season is Nats Altani from the Los Angeles Angels. He has become one of the first players in the last 21 years that was able to pitch and hit in a regular season and now an all-star game. And, I, and listen, yes, in the National League, that pitchers do hit, but that's not their main focus. This is his main focus is to be a great hitter And to pitch at the same time. It's amazing. The only thing that has to happen for him. Is that this season can't be a fluke. Meaning he has to continue staying healthy. Because that was one of his problems. Prior to the season. Staying healthy was one of his. um, Was one of his biggest problems. So let's look into the second half. Now as of right now. Most teams fall in the range. Between 69 games left. To 75 games left. My New York Mets need 75 games more before their seasons are up, while certain teams like the Padres have played 93 games and they only need to play 69 more games the rest of the season. One of the teams that was playing good up to the beginning of June was the Chicago Cubs, ladies and gentlemen. But since the beginning of Chicago, uh, since the beginning of June, since the beginning of Chicago, since the beginning of June, the Cubs have gone 14 in 23, rumors are st- starting around saying that this team may want to start selling. One of those guys is Chris Bryant. And this is sad because if they had just invested in this team, they could have been more successful this season. They let guys like John Lester go. They let Darvish go to another, another place. They didn't really add pieces at all in, in terms of this offseason, you know? But long story short, here's my question. And then I was looking at something, and I know they did certain things for financial reasons. But one of the things that's really hurting them, ladies and gentlemen, is Jason Haywood. See, the question is, is Jason Haywood the most overrated outfielder in the past 12 seasons? I remember when he first came up, they said he was a five-tools player. And actually, his best season that he's ever had was nine seasons ago. Nine seasons ago, he hit around 82, two, had around 82 RBIs. He had hit around 270, and he had over 20 home runs. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm in the ghetto, so you hear a siren. Let's continue. And somehow, he got a big contract after having one season with the St. Louis Cardinals. And they gave him a big contract. The Chicago Cubs gave him a big contract like he's a top 10 Outfielder, which he's never been. He's not even tradable right now for the Cubs. If Cubs are selling players and trying to gain capital in terms of prospects, they're not going to get anything for Jason Haywood because Jason Haywood's not hitting great right now. And who would want his big contract right now for the next two seasons? He's hitting $22 million, but he's playing like a good backup player at best. The reality is, with that $22 million, the Cubs could have used that m- money, got another starter, got another reliever, got someone else, all sp- spread it to three different guys, and maybe right now they would be different. But because Jason Hayward is playing below the terms of a guy who's worth $22 million, for the next two years, Jason Hayward will be stuck in the Cubs. Unless he wakes up tomorrow and goes on a hot streak and finishes the season strong in where maybe teams did want to trade for him. As of right now, Chris Bryant looks like the most likely guy, and the Craig Crabow and maybe some uh certain other players look like they're gonna be available for the, um they look like they're gonna be available to trade you know and this is crazy at least at this moment, this is not ten years ago or more where this was a team that was good over five hundred, and then things didn't just pan out the way they wanted it and long story short, they had to trade these players aw- away. And the Cubs would have to go another year trying to wait for their chance to win a pennant. They won a pennant, I think, in 2016 or 2017. But long story short, it looks like they're going to start breaking up the core. We'll see what they'll, they'll do. You know, I, my New York Mets look like they, they may want him. But it depends on who, who they'll give up. We'll see what happens. Now let's look at teams that may explode or may have just have a good remaining season. Now I was serving and looking at the teams, and there's two teams right now that, that that pop out in my eyes who may have a chance to either carry the momentum they had in the first half into the second half, or they have players coming back that may change everything and make make the season look different once these players come back. Now let's talk about the Reds first. Prior to the All-Star game, the Reds were 24 and 14 in the last 38 games, still chasing the uh the lead for the uh, for the division and they still are a few games out of the wild card spot. However, can this team continue this momentum um continue this momentum and have a chance to potentially win the division or even take one of the wild card spots? The question also the day is after they had let guys like Rawl Br- go away, Brewer go away and others. Will they invest in this team and help this team continue this momentum where now that the things are open up and fans can be in there, will they want to, should they go all in and gain that money that they lost last season because now they're in the pennant race? I say yes. I say never give up. When you're 24 and 14, add the pieces. Take advantage of guys who, who take advantage of your weak division. Take advantage of the Cubs and the Cardinals not being there. Take advantage of the, the Brewers Hitting being being horrible right now. Jelic is not being great. Certain, Not every player is hitting the way they should be, should be. But if you add pitching, you add hitting, this is the time to take advantage of it, get those fans in the stands, get the money you lost, and continue competing. But maybe that's just me. Now, looking at the Mets. Now, listen, ladies and gentlemen. My Met, New York Mets are 47-40. This is a team that's had more than 10 games rained out, ladies and gentlemen. And tomorrow, and maybe even Saturday in Pittsburgh, it's over 60% of rain. I have never met a team that's had over 12 rainouts. It is so crazy how this team could never pick up momentum. The, the oh, It wasn't even rainouts. Oh, excuse me. I made a mistake there. It was rainouts plus the Washington Nationals had a COVID scare, which hurt the first three games. The first three games versus the Washington Nationals didn't happen because of COVID, besides another 10 games due to rain. To add to that, the New York Mets have had tons of injuries. Up to this moment in the season, they've had over 40 players in the roster have played for the season so far due to injuries. They fired the hitting coach because they were not averaging good runs per, uh, per game. Yet, they are still over five hundred and leading the division. So, why do I think this team will break out? Well, the, one of the reasons why is because now, going, come, going into the uh, All-Star game, the Mets were getting healthy. And now, there's two players who are big difference makers when healthy... And they pitch like guy pitch like uh number two starters and even number three starters in most teams and those two guys are Carlos Carrasco and Noah Syndergaard, who should be both should be back within the next two to four weeks so you add these two guys who are big arms and you have the grum playing the way he is having all another all star in Walker, having stroman as your as your as your rotation it is a scary rotation where Every guy will average six innings or more. It's so, and, and what makes it cr- even crazy is now this is the best time for these guys to get healthy because now you get to save your bullpen. And our bullpen is strong and ready for the stretch of September and August. I should say that the other way around, of August and September, it will be great for them. Carlos Carrasco, Noah Syndergaard, both coming back is great. JD Davis has been hitting well in, in the minors. He should be back. So the question of the day is, should the Mets trade for Bryant? Should they give rid of Should they get rid of big prospects and maybe a J.D. Davis for Bryant? But what happens if Bryant doesn't sign? Is it worth it? But Bryant's defense is better than uh, Villar and better than J.D. Davis. And that's what we need. We don't need to lose a game because J.D. Davis makes an error and the guy reaches first or even second because of a throwing error or because of whatever, what have you. But we'll see what happens. It's a big contract. If they want to, Brian, it would have to be a big contract over $20 million a year. It's just crazy. But long story short, ladies and gentlemen, we have 16 more games, 16 more days before the tread deadline. We'll see if teams start making trades. We'll see if certain guys get better and maybe hurt the trade plans for certain teams. Do the Yankees. Do, does Corey Kluber and... Luis Suviano come back and play no matter what it's going to be interesting we'll see what happens we'll see what trades happen we'll analyze once these trades happen we'll analyze it see why it's good see why it's bad and so on and so forth because ladies and gentlemen everybody can make trades but sometimes they never pan out look at the trades that happened in the NBA in the last month month or two before the trade deadline not all worked out for most teams Example, Miami Heat got uh, Victor Aladipo and he never did anything for them. He got hurt and did nothing for them down the stretch. Now, ladies and gentlemen, let's look at something else that, that was happening. And, you know, within the last couple of days, certain NFL players have been in the news due to crimes or whatever they have done. Uh, Frank Clark of the Chiefs has a chance to go to jail for three, three days. Richard Sherman was just uh, Arrested due to a collision Due to, what was it, burglary Domestic violence I don't know what that means But that's officially what they said There's also said that he had suicidal thoughts And who else is out there There's more players out there that just You know, for whatever reason Are Are giving up the career You know, right now Deshaun Watson Supposedly, to, to, uh, according to Ab- Adam Schefter could possibly not play for the Texans this season. That's crazy. And when he's playing, he's probably one of the best players in, in the NFL. Now, our NFL really has to do something when it comes to the arrest. There's no other sport that has all these, these arrests every year. I mean, they lead all American sports in terms of arrest. And the reality is, we heard arrest this for the last couple of weeks. I wouldn't be shocked between now in December, we're not going to hear a minimum of three more guys getting arrested for whatever reason. I wonder if the NFL is... What the NFL is doing. Is it... Do NFL players get away with these crimes? And maybe that's why these guys do the things that they do because they have stories and they know things between themselves that they tell each other where... Yo, did you know that I spit? I, I went over 110 miles per hour and I didn't get a ticket? So if you didn't get a ticket... Maybe I won't get a ticket. And they try. I don't know. Or is it the concussions? Is it the blows to the head that is impacting the decision-making of these players? Listen, Aaron Hernandez's brain was damaged once it was examined, once he had committed suicide in jail. The question of the day is that if he didn't have the concussions, would he have done the things that he had done? Would he still be alive raising his children? Would he have been been called an NFL future Hall of Famer because he was a great catching tight end for the Patriots and when he played for the Florida Gators. It's crazy. What to, what to think, what to analyze about this team, these teams, I mean, these, these players. Is it concussions? Is it the concussions? Is it the blows to the head? Do they think they're above law? The NFL has to do something because... It just looks like they're okay with these players getting hurt. Not getting hurt. These players getting arrested. They're not scared. They're not scared. But anyway, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, one more thing before I go. Conor McGregor. Conor McGregor broke his foot. I had a stress fracture of some kind on Saturday. Still was talking trash after. Said horrible things about his opponent's wife but today ladies and gentlemen he had taken things to another level he had taken to another level why did he t- how did he take it to another level well ladies and gentlemen if you do not hear the news he said he was hurt prior um before the match even happened Saturday I don't know if this is him trying to downgrade his opponent's um talent and strength but ladies and gentlemen that also hurts Dana White and the UFC and the doctor that, that cleared him. If he has some kind of stress fracture or, or fracture or a sprain prior to this match, this match should have never happened. They should have given it at least a month or two before he, let him clear uh, let him heal up the right way. If that is true. Now listen, I don't know if Conor McGregor is telling the truth. If he is, he should back it up rather than 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 they put these allegations out there. But if it is true. Dana White looks like a money-hungry promoter. That's what he looks like. He's the Don King of UFC, a guy looking for money, a guy looking for a chance to make money. Listen, I know we all sports lost tons of money due to COVID. But the reality is, what comes first, the health of your, of your fighters or money? Now Conor McGregor was on a wheelchair Pushing himself around with like a remote wheelchair. Saying all these different things. Go on his Instagram and you'll see his live feed of what he said and what he mentioned. But ladies and gentlemen, the truth is... If this is true... Then the reality is that Adam Denner-White and the doctor look horrible. They look like money-hungry person. This won't stop them from making money. And the reality is that because this fight didn't finish the way it was supposed to finish... Most likely, we will see Conor McGregor fight again, because he does make UFC tons of money. He does make Dana White rich, but we'll see what, what Dana White Dana White's uh response to this, what his attitude towards this is. Interesting. Anyway, ladies and gentlemen, this is the Truth and Rally podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Roman, reporting middle of nowhere. Have a great day and even better night a